The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. To no one owe anything except to love one another. For the one loving the other has fulfilled the law. For you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. 
And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word, in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to a fellow human being. In fact, love is the fulfillment of the law. In fact, this, having known the time, that it is now high time to arouse us out from sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is already over. The day has come near. Above all, may we disregard the deeds of darkness, and may we put on the armor of light. As in the day, may we walk around properly, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in promiscuity, not in immorality, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not create forethought for lusts of the flesh. Romans, the 13th chapter. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm glad you've joined. I hope today is very helpful to you. I'm asking the question today, are you entitled? Do you live from a position of entitlement? Does God owe you? And if he does not come in the way you expect him to come, are you angry? Do you begin to complain? Is your heart set on what you want? And if God does not bring it to pass, or if you're not able to do it for yourself, you're depressed, discouraged. I think all of us have faced the impossibility of doing some things. And our response to that tells us a lot about our own hearts. The Holy Spirit comes to accomplish his work in our hearts. And in the story of, of John Bunyan, the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian goes to the house of the interpreter or the house of the Holy Spirit. And there he's taught some very, very helpful lessons that we all need for this journey. Or we will be angry and we will be depressed and we will be feeling like we've been cheated somehow. But that's all flesh. That's not the Holy Spirit. So today, let's walk through some of those lessons that Bunyan talks about in Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to be sharing today from The Pilgrim's Progress by C.J. Lovick. He's the editor. It's by John Bunyan. It was in the 1678 when this book first was published. It is the classic of classics in the English language, in the allegory category. There was a time when a sermon was not preached in America if it did not include some reference to Pilgrim's Progress. Let me share with you 
some of the of the lessons taught by the interpreter or the Holy Spirit. After Christian departed, he went on until he came to the house of the interpreter where he knocked over and over. Okay, one of the first lessons that we're going to have to learn, and it's a very painful lesson, and it's one that I'm still learning, and I'm not very good at this. Remember when Christian stood at the gate, the narrow gate. He had to knock and knock and knock. It reminds me of the 11th chapter of Luke, where we're told to, to ask, to seek, to knock. And we can do that for a long time before we're answered. Moses in the wilderness, 40 years, not even taking care of his own sheep, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He owned nothing. <clears throat> Can you imagine how Moses felt? He knew God had called him to deliver the children of Israel. He tried to do it in his flesh, and when he failed, he went into the wilderness to herd sheep, Midianite sheep, Forty years, hoping against hope, waiting on God. And when God finally came, he had such a sense of his inability, such humility, that he said, no, send somebody else. When you come to the house of the Holy Spirit, you're probably going to have to spend a fair amount of time in the prayer closet knocking on the door before you will be answered. Finally, a man came to the door and asked who was there, and Christian answered, Sir, I am a traveler who was told by an acquaintance of the good man of this house to come here for my profit. Therefore, I would like to speak with the master of the house. So the man called the master of the house, who after a little time, I want you to keep catching this at the beginning, God usually does not quickly answer us. And there's a very specific reason for this. He wants to know how serious we are versus, okay, if God doesn't answer, I'll go do it myself. I've been there. Yesterday, I was offered an incredible business opportunity, an investment that I was, that I was hard-pressed by. And finally, it became very clear to me, I made a covenant to receive only from the hand of God what he would give to me. I was not to make a covenant that I would take any man's offer. No, I take from the hand of God, and so I turned down the invitation. I receive from the hand of God what he chooses to move in the hearts of people to give for the work of the gospel, not pagans who love me 
and offer me a wonderful business opportunity. I've learned I have to wait on the Lord and not try to create for myself. Believe me, many times I've tried to create for myself and the Holy Spirit has said, that's enough, Ray, stop. Sir, said Christian, I'm a man who's come from the city of destruction and I'm going to Mount Zion. I was told by the man who stands at the entrance gate to this way that I was called. The narrow gate, you would show me excellent things that would help me on my journey toward the celestial city. The interpreter said, oh, come in. I'll show you these things that will be very profitable to you. So he commanded his servant to light the candle and then asked Christian to follow him to a private room. There a manservant opened the door and revealed a picture of a very grave person hanging on the wall. This is what the man in the picture looked like. He had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, the law of truth written upon his lips, the world behind his back. He stood as if pleading with men, and a crown of gold hanging over his head. Well, what does this mean, said Christian? The man in the picture represents one of a thousand. He can conceive children, travail in birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. You see him, his eyes are lifted up to heaven. The best of books is in his hand, and the law of truth written on his lips. And all this is to show you that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners, or hidden things from sinners. You see him pleading with men, the world cast behind him, and a crown hanging over his head to show you that by rejecting and despising the things of this present world for the love that he has for, for his master's service, he is sure to have the glory of his reward in the world to come. I have shown you this picture first because the man whom it represents is the only man authorized by the Lord of this place where you are going to be your guide in all the difficult phases you will encounter on the way. So pay attention to what I've shown you and keep this picture foremost in your mind so that if you meet with someone who doesn't resemble this picture's likeness but who pretends to lead you in the right way, you will not follow him down to destruction. What an incredible description we are given of what a pastor should look like and how he should operate. His eyes lifted up to heaven, the Bible in his hand, the law of truth written on his lips. Pleading with men, the world cast behind him and a crown hanging over his head to show that by rejecting and despising the things of this present world for the love that he has for his master's service, 
He is sure to have glory as his reward in the world to come. This is what a true pastor of Jesus is like. He speaks only truth. He doesn't speak to please men. It's a warning. If you have a pastor who does not fit this description, run from that pastor. A pastor is a person who is sober of spirit. He has truth on his lips, the law of truth. He can only speak the truth. He does not try to please the world or the flesh or the devil. He does not compromise with darkness. He's not an institutional man. He's not a company man. He's not a people-pleasing man. He calls it straight and clean. Even, yes, he will make mistakes. But he always goes back like a compass pointing straight at Jesus. That's an important lesson that we must learn at the very beginning, who we will listen to and to whom we will not listen. Some of you get confused because you listen all day to Christian radio and and you're confused because it's not all Christian. Many non-biblical errors are taught, like eternal security, unconditional love of God, the sinning Christian. All of these are heresies that are not taught in the scriptures. Then the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him to a very large parlor that was full of dust. It had never been swept. After he reviewed it for a little while, the interpreter called for a man to come and sweep. And when he began to sweep, the dust began to fly about so much that it was so thick that Christian almost choked. Then said interpreter, bring water and sprinkle the room. When she'd done as requested, it was swept clean, and it was very pleasant. What does this mean? asked Christian. The parlor is the heart of a man that has never been sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is the original sin and inward corruption that have defiled the whole man. The first man who began to sweep was the law. Then there was one who brought water and sprinkled it. That is the gospel. You saw that as soon as the first man began to sweep, the dust filled the room so thickly it could not be cleansed. And you almost choked on it. This is to show you that the law, instead of cleansing the heart from sin, actually revives, increases, and adds strength to it. Even though the law uncovers and forbids sin, it is powerless to conquer or subdue it. Then you saw the room sprinkled with water, after which it was pleasantly cleansed. This is to show that the way in which the gospel comes into the heart with its sweet and precious influences. You saw the dust cleared from the room by the sprinkling on the floor. This shows how sin is vanquished and subdued and the soul made clean through faith 
consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. What he's telling us in this in this second understanding, the work of the Holy Spirit is to take out the old nature. We sometimes refer to that, some people do, as... Let me go back and get the exact phrase. Original sin that is removed by the by the blood of Jesus, by the influence of the Holy Spirit. All sin is removed from the character. And the old carnal nature is swept out as well to be entirely sanctified, to be made holy. Now, I'm not the one saying that, although I believe that. John Bunyan was a Reformed Baptist, but he believed that you could not be a sinning Christian. He believed that if you were walking in sin, you were still lost. That when the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit came into the heart, with with absolute power, the life is swept clean. That's what Bunyan is saying in Pilgrim's Progress. That's a precious truth to me. Now, third, I also in my dream saw that interpreter took Christian by the hand into a little room where sat two little children, each one in their own chair. The name of the older child was Passion. The name of the younger was Patience. Passion seemed to be very discontent, but Patience was very quiet. Then Christian asked, what's the reason for the discontentment of Passion? The interpreter answered, their guardian would have them wait for the best things until the beginning of next year. Passion wants it all now, but Patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that someone came to Passion and brought him a bag of treasures, pouring it all out for him. Passion picked up the treasures, laughing and rejoicing, and and scorned patience. But as I watched for a while, all the treasures either rusted or molded away, and soon he had nothing left but rust and rags. Then Christian asked interpreter to explain this more fully. So he said, these two lads are figures, passion of the men of this world, and patience the men of the world which is to come. You saw that passion wanted to have it all now, this year. In other words, the men of this world want all their goods right now, in this world, and cannot wait for their portion of good in the next world. The proverb a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is of more authority with them than are the divine testimonies of the good that is waiting in the world to come. But as you saw, passion quickly wasted all of his treasures away and soon was left with nothing but rags. So will it be with all men at the end of the world. Just a very personal account. I'm driving an old Hyundai Sonata. 
almost 200,000 miles on it. It's beat up. It's not all that pretty. It's old. And I went out to go to the post office this morning. And I looked at it and I, I laughed and I said, Lord, you know, it'd be nice to have one of these nice, shiny new cars. And I could buy one. Go in debt. But Lord, you haven't given me one. You gave me the beat-up Sonata, the Hyundai. I said, Lord, I'm happy to drive this, this old car. Thank you. I praise your name for it. I worship you. You gave it to me. I owe not one dime on it. There was a time when my heart was so impatient, I would have just gone and, and bought that Mercedes or bought that Honda or that new Hyundai. I wouldn't have waited. But all of those cars that I bought, you know where they are now? In the junkyard, worn out. I paid a lot of money for them. I went in debt. I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. I wait on the Lord. I take only from his hand what he chooses to give me. It's important that we owe no man anything but the debt of love. And we wait. We wait on the Lord. There are things we could do ourselves, but we'll just wear them out. Many of you have worn out your car before the payments are all made and you roll that payment into the next car and the next car until finally you're so up down, upside down, you don't know what to do. Then you declare bankruptcy because you can't handle the payments anymore. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait on the Lord. My goal is to enter the next world. There's nothing I want here except that which I need to serve the Lord and to serve you. My whole life is consumed with serving my brothers and sisters on this broadcast and in person as I'm able. My whole life is consumed with waiting on Jesus for revival. How long will I wait? Well, I told the Lord this morning, Lord, I'm going to wait. And if I die waiting, at least I will die obeying the command you gave me to wait upon the Lord. And so I could smile and I could rejoice. Because I know it's all about waiting on the Lord and walking in obedience and receiving only from his hand what he chooses to give me. 
you know, I just come today to confess the name of Jesus before you. I come to confess before you the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and nothing is too difficult for him. I spoke with a businessman who, his business is not doing well. He's had to let a lot of people go. I said, brother, God's calling you to be like Abraham and hope against hope. That's what I do. I hope against hope. I know who holds my future, and I trust him. These are vital lessons that we must learn. Most men will not ignore the present world that they can see in order to make known. Their way is clear for the world that is to come. They simply go after whatever their affections call them to, whatever their desire is. After this, I saw the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a very pleasant place where there was built a stately palace, beautiful to behold. At the sight of it, Christian was greatly delighted. He looked up and saw people clothed in gold walking on the top of the thick palace walls. And Christian asked, May we go into the palace? The interpreter took him and led him toward the door of the palace. There Christian saw a great company of men standing at the palace door, all desiring to go in, but few daring to. A little distance from the door, there was a man sitting at a table with a book open before him. He was writing the names of those who wished to enter the palace. Christian also saw in the doorway many armed men who were determined to inflict as many injuries and wounds as they could on anyone who dared try to enter into the palace. Christian was amazed. At last, after every man retreated back for fear of the armed men, Christian saw a man with a very determined look on his face come up to the man sitting at the table and say, Sir, set down my name. As soon as his name was written in the book, Christian saw the man draw his sword, put a helmet upon his head, and rush toward the armed men at the door who tried to stop him with deadly force. But the man, not at all discouraged, began cutting and hacking most fiercely at his attackers. After he had received and had given many wounds to those who attempted to keep him out, he cut his way through them all and pressed forward into the palace. Then Christian heard a pleasant voice from those who were inside the palace, even those who walked upon the top of the palace, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory you shall win. So the determined man went in and was clothed with gold. Then Christian smiled and said, I think I know what this means. 
and I think it's time for me to continue my journey. You know what it means, don't you? You can only enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ with an intense, ongoing, long-lasting battle with the devil and his cohorts. They try with deadly force to force you away from the presence of God. But by his grace, by his mercy, by his indwelling Holy Spirit, you will not quit. You will not stop. You have a goal, and that goal is to be with Jesus. And you will take out the sword of the Spirit, and you will fight until you win. Every day for me is an intense battle with the devil trying to get me to go to sleep, to pull back, to become hopeless, to be filled with fear and anxiety. All of his threats, I'm going to bankrupt you. I'm going to shut down the radio. Nobody's going to listen. Oh, his lies go on and on and on. I'm fighting my way through. I'm not going to quit. I will fight until my last breath or until I get through. And I will get through. I will get through. Revival is coming to Washington, D.C. and to America. And I will intercede and cry out to the Lord. I will fast and I will pray. I will not be casual. I will not back away. I will press my way through until I see the face of Jesus. I'm not dependent on the approval of men. I'm not dependent on my family approving of me. I'm not dependent upon any man except brothers and sisters who choose to walk with me on this journey. I am very dependent on the family of God. Those who contribute to this broadcast, I know, are fighting for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you sacrifice, and I praise God for you. I am humbled by the way you fight with me for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The work of the gospel is everything to me. It consumes me. It consumes my time and my energy. Some men go build houses. Some men do other things. And there's nothing wrong with building houses and doing many other good things. But I can't do that. My job is to come with a sword of the Spirit, the word of truth, and to call you to be absolutely committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. To call you to fast and pray to call you to place your future, your family, in the hand of Jesus and to trust him. 
The battle is intense, and I have received many cuts and bruises and some almost fatal wounds to my heart. But each time the Lord comes with leaves from the tree of life and heals my wounds, lifts me up and encourages me in the way, feeds me, gives me drink, and I'm on my way again. I so rejoice in those of you who listen to this broadcast who understand the work of the gospel, who have hearts filled with love for Jesus and for brothers and sisters, for the lost and the dying, whose hearts are filled with compassion and mercy, long-suffering, who do not cut and run, who do not judge. I can only say, brothers and sisters, I love you. And I am honored to walk with you in this journey toward heaven. But we must know that the battle is going to be intense. This is not an easy road. It is a narrow gate, and it's a narrow path. And our eyes must be on heaven. Our eyes must be on Jesus, or we will be drawn off the path. It doesn't matter what I lose financially, physically. It doesn't matter what I lose in terms of friendships. I'm walking forward with men and women who will not quit, who are as strong as I am in their commitment, in your commitment, to belong to Jesus. I'd love to name some of you, but I better not. But I pray for you by name. I praise God for you. Now he continues. Stay until I've shown you a little more. And after that, I'll send you on your way. So he took Christian by the hand and led him into a very dark room where a man sat in an iron cage. The man in the cage seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down at the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if his heart would break. And Chris, Christian asked, What does this mean? Instead of answering, the interpreter asked Christian to talk with the man. So Christian asked the man, Who are you? The man answered, I'm not who I used to be. Well, who did you used to be? I was once fair and flourishing in my profession of faith, both in my own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I was, I once thought, deserving of the celestial city and was full of joy as I considered going there. Well, who are you now? I'm now a man of despair, and it surrounds me as does this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot get out. 
but how did you come into this condition? I stopped being watchful and diligent. I rushed after my own lust. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the spirit and he is gone. I tempted the devil and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. Christian asked the interpreter, Is there no hope for such a man as this? Ask him, said the interpreter. So Christian asked the man, Is there no hope? Must you be kept in the iron cage of despair? No hope. None at all, replied the man in the iron cage. But consider this. The son of the blessed is full of pity. The man protested. I have crucified him to myself afresh. I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I have counted his blood an unholy thing. I have insulted the spirit of grace. Therefore, I have shut myself out of all the promises, and there now remains to me nothing but threatenings, dreadful threatenings, fearful threatenings of certain judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour me as an adversary. How did you bring yourself into this condition? I promised myself much delight from the lust and the pleasures and the prophets of this world. But now every one of those things wound me and gnaw at me like a burning worm. But can't you even now repent and turn away from those things? God has denied me repentance. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. He himself has shut me up in this iron cage. And all the men in the world do not have the power to let me out. Oh, eternity, eternity, how will I deal with the misery that waits me in eternity? Then the interpreter said to Christian, Remember this man's misery and let it be an everlasting caution to you. Some are caught in the iron chains of pride. They consider service to another as beneath them. They're consumers, not producers, not givers. They believe they're entitled to the very best. They're full of complaints and bitterness. They're unwilling to humble their hearts. And so they live in an iron cage. There is a way out of the iron cage. It's to cast oneself utterly and fully upon Jesus Christ, regardless of how you feel. But it requires the courage to turn away from the way of darkness. 
it requires that you no longer seek after this world and the lust of this world, the entertainment of this world. It requires everything. The pearl of great price, Jesus said the man had to go and sell everything he had to buy that pearl or the field. Remember the parable of the of the treasure hidden in a field? The man is plowing deep in a rented field and his plow strikes something. He digs and he finds a treasure box full of incredible treasure. Now what should he do? Jesus said he must go and sell everything he possessed and buy that field. You cannot have Jesus and the world too. Look, I'm being absolutely straight with with compassion and love for you. Some of you consider yourself to be Christians. But you're still going after the world. You're still going after money. You're still going after lust, fornication. Some of you are even living with people you're not married to. Some of you are ready to divorce your husband or your wife. Utter wickedness. Have you considered your future? Have you considered heaven or hell? My brother, my sister, this is so serious. These are the lessons the Holy Spirit would have us learn. There is a a Lord who is merciful, gracious, long-suffering. But do not presume upon the love of God. Do not imagine that you can pursue the lust of your heart and Jesus. At the same time, you can't do it. My heart is stricken because some of you think you can walk now in wickedness before God and that he has unconditional love, and that he's covered you with grace, and that grace is some kind of blanket. Some of you even think you're serious about Jesus. And you are when you go to the prayer meetings and when you go to church on Sunday. But the thoughts that occupy your mind during the week are thoughts of lust. Thoughts of one of the most foolish things. If I could just go make a million dollars, then I could spend full time working for Jesus. I've heard that from so many people. What are you doing? And they say to me, well, I'm trying to earn enough money so I can work full time for Jesus. Well, if Jesus is calling you to work full-time for him, he'll pay you for working full-time for him. You don't have to go take money from Pharaoh and the world to somehow be able to work full-time for Jesus. A businessman, the owner of a large carpet store in a major U.S. city, 
heard about the ministry, came to visit me, and he sat in my living room one Saturday morning. And I could tell he was very unhappy, very upset in his spirit, his mind. He was struggling. I said, my brother, what is God calling you to do? He said, oh, pastor, it's too late. It's too late. I said, what do you mean? He said, many years ago, the Lord called me to be a pastor. And I said, no, I've got to make money so I can take care of myself. So he said, I started a carpet business. And he said, I've become very prosperous and I've made a great deal of money. I'm a millionaire today. But my life is gone. I'm now an old man. And now it's too late for me to go be a pastor. Who wants an old man? He said, brother, have you repented before God? Oh, he said, I cry out to God all the time, but I get no peace. I've not done what he asked me to do. Instead, I went to make money because I thought I'd take care of myself. He sat in my living room and wept like a baby. He could not hear my word to him. Give all that you have to the poor and follow Jesus. The money you've made you must give away. He said, then I would be destitute, pastor. I would starve to death. No. You are unfit for the kingdom of God as you rest in your million dollars. Until you give it away, you will not have peace in your heart. What is God calling you to do today? Have you sinned the grace of God away? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to receive forgiveness for your sins? Almighty God of heaven, I pray for each who's listening. I pray that these precious lessons that John Bunyan is teaching in Pilgrim's Progress, that we will take these lessons to heart, that we will not be the man in chains, that instead we will quickly come to you and cast ourselves totally upon you and trust in your blood. For you are a merciful and kind God, long-suffering, slow to wrath, abundant in forgiveness. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm trusting Jesus to move in your heart 
so that we can stay on the air and pay this month's radio bill. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And just make your check out to the National Prayer Chapel, National Prayer Chapel. Mail it to Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go online and you can give online at our website, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. I think some of you may be having a hard time finding the place to donate. If you are, please just write a check and send it. Many of you are assigned to places of work by the Holy Spirit. Some of you are assigned the home to work in for the Holy Spirit. Go where he sends you and do what he tells you. He is faithful and he loves you. And he is abundant in mercy. Tomorrow's a prayer day. Please call in and pray. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brothers and sisters. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.